Thanks for joining us for another message from Southland Church. If you'd like any info on our church, check out our website at mysouthland.com. All right, uh, we got to get going here. We've, I've got a message that I want to preach, and it's tied to the message uh, that I spoke on ch- at the Church Renewal Weekend two weekends ago. And uh, I asked Tom if I could swap a week with him so that I could do a part three next week, sort of. All right? And I'm going to show you, I, I want to talk to you about a bigger picture. But before we do, uh, let's bow forward of prayer. Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you for all those that are getting baptized uh, in the, over these three weekends, uh, over 90 getting baptized. Thank you for the number of young people as well who are getting baptized, who are choosing to commit their lives fully and completely to you thoughtfully and prayerfully submitting their hearts and lives to you to walk with you in newness of life. And uh, we pray that it be a special blessing for them and their families. And uh, now, Lord, as we look at this, at this particular message on uh, experiencing the abundant life now and forever, we're, just, uh, we're choosing this morning, Lord, that we're going to lean in to what you have to say to us and not just take interest in it, but then to turn around and do something with it. And so I ask by your Spirit that you would touch each one of our hearts in this as we open our hearts to you. In Jesus' name, and everybody agreed by saying, Amen. Well, Jesus offered us the abundant life, and that's a bit of the big picture that I want to use. Uh, I'm I'm going to be, in this message, I'm going to be stepping back just a little bit. The one two weekends ago, I really narrowed down on this whole thing about the old nature and the flesh and the difference and all that. We'll come to it in this message. We're in in part two, and I'll I'll give a short summary of it there, uh, because there's many of you here that weren't here that weekend, but... Uh, to make sure that you see where it fits in the whole scheme of things. Because sometimes we get so much information thrown at us that we, that we hardly understand how the, how the pieces are connected and, and what we should be doing to grow in the Christian life and where the emphasis should be and what we should be working on and what, uh, what, what are the, all the pieces that we need so that we don't, uh, so that we don't become imbalanced and just strong in one particular area. So Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 10, the thief comes only to what? And kill and destroy. But, and then Jesus said, but I have come that they may have what? And have it? Have it abundantly. And we're going to come back to that verse right at the end of the message. We'll come full circle. Now, by abundant life, Jesus did not mean a life free from bad circumstances connected to the material side of us, our, 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 our physical beings. He's, he's not talking about that. In fact, uh, the, uh, uh, he was referring here to the soul spirit, the immaterial side of us. And he was saying, I've come that your soul spirit, which is a real part of us, but it's the immaterial part of us, would, you know, that's where our mind and emotions and will are. That's what I mean by the, uh, the immaterial side. So that I would bring life to, to that. I mean, our bodies are decaying. Isn't that true? Yeah. Uh, so he's not talking about that, uh, although that all gets changed at the, at the end of life when we see Christ. However, 
uh, God also uses difficult circumstances. So he's not talking about abundant life. And don't listen to preachers who, th- who use these kinds of passages and talk about us having abundant life as having material possessions and wealth and health and all those kinds of things. That's not true. In fact, he actually uses some of the bad or negative circumstances, many of them in our lives, to actually produce the abundant life that we want in our interior lives. Is that true? Yeah, that, exactly. So, um, uh, 2 Corinthians 4, 16, we can see the relationship between the two, and we can see what Jesus meant by it. Paul said, therefore, we don't lose heart, though, though what? Outwardly, we are what? Wasting away, yet we are being renewed day by day. When you see the word abundant life, or the phrase abundant life, or living abundantly, and you see a, a word like renewed or renewal, we're talking about the same thing, just using different terminology. Church renewal is about the abundant life. Is that true? Yes, that's exactly what it's, uh, what it's about. Now, uh, that's what we mean by it. So, while Jesus offers us the abundant life in our interior soul life, many believers are living well below the level that Christ intended for us to live. And the reason for that is, uh, is that, number one, we don't know that we have a part to play in it. And number two, we don't, even if we know that we have a part to play in it, we don't know what it is that we should be doing. And uh, it's remarkable to me, I've, I mean, now we're mentoring over 700 pastors across Canada and around the world, 30, 32 weeks out of the year, and it's growing very rapidly, as you can tell. And uh, we spend an hour a week with them for those 30, 32 weeks. And you know what's remarkable? All the di- different denominations represented that you can, that you can a- absolutely imagine. And do you know what I'm finding? Pastors don't know and churches don't know that they're supposed to be having a part in this, that they have a part to play, and they don't, and if they know that they have a part to play, they don't know what they should be doing. So this is something that's plaguing the Christian church across Canada and many parts of the world. So how do we experience abundant life? Well, the first thing is, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have three parts to this message, three key parts, and I'm going to bookend it with two of them, and I'm not going to spend very much time on, on, on uh, the first one. I'll mention it, and uh, then we'll go to the second part, and we'll spend more time there. It's related to the message I preached on two weeks ago, and then we're going to, I'm just going to, by way of introduction for next week, I'm going to talk just for like a couple of minutes on the third part, okay? So we'll bookend it with two short parts and have one keep uh, or bigger part for, th- for the sake of this message. Now, the first way in which we experience abundant life is by abiding in the vine. Can we have that slide up there? Yeah. By abiding in the what? Yeah. We abide in the vine who is Jesus Christ. John talked about it and he was quoting Jesus And Jesus said, I'm the vine, you are the branches. If anybody remains in me or abides in me or is connected to me. And uh, he said in verse 6, if anyone does not remain or abide. Now, uh, let me just back up before I even get to that verse. When we are not abiding in Christ, when we don't connect to him is what I mean. He's like a vine. That's the metaphor 
That's the picture. He's the vine, we are the what again? We are the branches. So the life of Christ flows through the vine into the branches who we are. That's, and, and we're not talking about the, the material side. We're talking about the immaterial side, right? That's where we get our life. Uh, you know, when people talk about peace and joy and love and hope and acceptance, all these kinds of things, we're talking about life in the interior part of us, the soul, the spirit. And uh, when we are not connected to him, we dry up inside or we shrivel up we, and we wither away. Verse 6, Jesus said just that. He said, if anyone does not remain or abide in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. And when we, but we, uh, uh, when we abide with him, then we get this life that comes into us. Have you ever felt this deadness on the inside? Have you ever felt deadness? Have you ever noticed that when you connect to Christ or you spend time with him through, and, and by the way, how do we do it? Through prayer, you go to prayer, or you spend time in the word meditating. It could be memorization too, but thinking through, chewing on the scripture. Hearing his voice is the, is the result of that, right? And when, we, when he speaks into, and whispers into our, into our spirits, isn't it true they come alive? When Jesus says to you, I love you in, in your spirit soul, does that bring you alive? It, it did that for me this morning. Uh, there, there, there's something about it. It's not just head knowledge. It's something that he does in our spirit soul, and we come alive. We're not dry and withering up and dead, right? That's what we're talking about. And we, we have to be able to hear God's voice and journal or have a conversation with God in order for that to happen through his word and through prayer. And the psalmist said something similar. He said, the law of the Lord is perfect. What does it do to the soul? It what? It revives the soul. He was talking about when they meditate on it. Because in Joshua 1.8, that's what he said. Uh, God said to Joshua, meditate on it day and night. Then you will be successful and stuff. That's how we get life. And uh, even if we can meditate anywhere in Scripture and receive light, life as he begins to speak to us, all right? So then we experience those kinds of things. So that's the first thing. I don't have time to go into that one. That's a whole section that we often speak about. Uh, the whole hearing God course is about that and that sort of thing. Let's go to the second one. There's a second way that we... Uh, that we can uh, grow or have abundant life or receive abundant life. And that is by growing in our freedom from sin. In John chapter 8, Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a what? He's a slave to sin. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you are free indeed. We are no longer, uh, you know, like if, if we're slaves to sin, we're, or if we sin, we're slaves to sin. But Jesus came to set us free from the enslavement of sin. And that's exactly what the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 6. We were buried with him in baptism uh, so that we would be, uh, that, that we would no longer be slaves to sin. That's what he said in chapter 6. The whole, he just says it over and over in chapter 6. 
Uh, so he breaks that, and we talked about that uh, two weekends ago. Freedom from the enslavement to sin is a part of the abundant life that Jesus promised us. Let, 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 me, sh let me show you how this works. Let's take uh, any kind of sinful pattern or addiction or behavior, thinking, whatever, but let's just pick one. Let's, uh, that's easy to, to understand. The alcoholic does, is the, the, the person who is completely addicted to alcohol, let me ask you, is that person experiencing the, uh, the abundant life? Yes or no? No, he's not experiencing the abundant life. He cannot experience the abundant life. His life is filled with misery from broken relationships, from guilt and shame and, and uh, uh, you know, all, all those uh, kinds of things. Hopelessness, maybe even despair, all those kinds of things. He's not experiencing the abundant life. So, when Christ sets us free from a pattern of sin in our lives, from the flesh, does that bring a certain amount of the abundant life? And the answer is yes. Absolutely. So you see that the freedom in Christ is also related to the abundant living that Christ uh, offered us. Now, John chapter 10, 10, back to that verse that we talked about. Many people think that Jesus promised us the abundant life here. And I'm talking now about the interior soul, but I want to say this. Jesus did not promise it. He offered it. There's a big difference. If Jesus promises us the abundant life, then he has to do it without any conditions. It has nothing to do with us. Is that true? If he offers it to us, it has something to do with the conditions or the part that we play in it as well. You see, people are really confused about this because the justification by faith, so that we're no longer enemies of God, we're declared righteous and not enemies of God, now we're friends of God, that is entirely God's part. Is that true? Yes or no? Yes, it is true. But sanctification or becoming holy or, or growing in our character and, and receiving the abundant life and all those kinds of things, they don't just happen automatically. We have a part to play in them. We're going to talk about the reasons for that in just a, in a moment, all right? So the question is this. Can we lose our, the freedom that was won by Christ? Can we lose freedom? If he, he, he wins freedom for us, can we lose it? Yes or no? The answer is, well, Paul tells us. Let's find out. Galatians chapter 5, 1 says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Now, I'll ask the question again. Can we lose the freedom won by Christ? The answer is yes. Practically speaking, we don't... Uh, don't, get, don't, don't get me wrong. We, the old nature was crucified. That thing is gone. It's dead. It's buried. But that flesh that we were talking about that we're going to get to in just a moment, uh, uh, if, if, that, if, we, if we don't overcome that, we can still lose our freedom. We have a part to play in this. There's two sides to walking out our freedom and not being burdened by a yoke of slavery. And the first one is placed, put in the negative in the, in the New Testament, Paul, 
uh, tells us. And the second, or the second side is the positive. So let's look at the negative side first. The, on the negative side, we're told that we're supposed to put off. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have what? What's the phrase? Put off. Do not uh, lie to one another, seeing that you have what? Say it again. Put off the old self with its practices, okay? Here's a, uh, what does that look like when we've put off the old self with its practices? Well, he gives us an example of it in 2 Corinthians 7, 1. He says, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence of God. By the way, uh, though we're called saints, and though he starts us on the sanctification or holiness process or growing in our character, notice we're... Per we're in a process of perfecting holiness. We haven't, we haven't arrived yet. Is that true? But we're to grow in it. Just ask your spouse if you've arrived or not. That'll, that'll basically tell you, right? But we're also, also supposed to put on. Now, uh, uh, let me just stop here for one second, this putting off. The set free. Like, where does the set free fit in all of this? I'll show you where it's set free. We already, I already mentioned the hearing God. It fits in that first part on the abiding in Christ. Uh, the set free belongs right to this part here. What is the set free mostly, retreat mostly about? About what? Confessing, forgive, confessing and repenting of sin. We're putting off the old practices. That's what we're doing. And... Uh, that, that's the bulk of what it is. But there is a put on. And by the way, when we put off those things, is there a certain amount of freedom that we feel, yes or no? Yes, absolutely. People often use these kinds of phrases. We've had over 10,000 participants go through a set free right here at Southland and thousands of times the set free. In fact, I just got pictures of it uh, yesterday and today again. They're running them all over across Canada and around the world now. Thousands more have been running them there. Are they experiencing a measure of freedom in Christ? And the answer is absolutely yes. But it isn't the whole thing. We have to put something on as well, correct? And in Colossians 3.10, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed knowledge after the image of its creator. Now, what does that look like when we're putting on? We're putting off the bad practices and we're putting on good things. In 2 Peter chapter 1, he gives us a little picture of that. He says, his divine power has given us everything we need for what? For what? Life and? Through these, he has given us his very great and precious what? The promises are depending on that. Uh, through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness that we may be partakers of his divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Now look at what it says in verse 5. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith what? Okay, look what we're putting on. We're putting on goodness. And to goodness? And to knowledge? Self-control. Self-control? And to perseverance? And to godliness? And to brotherly kindness? For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful or unproductive in your knowledge of him who called you by his own glory and goodness. You see that? Those are the things we're supposed to be putting on. 
And we're supposed to be doing it intentionally. But many in the Christian life have been duped by the enemy into thinking there's nothing left to do. You got saved, and now you wait for Jesus to take you home. And we are charged to actually grow our freedom. He has set us free by it. Um, um, well, let's summarize that. Let's, let's summarize it out of what, what I talked about last, last week. Okay, here's what happens. When you were born, uh, when you were, uh, born originally, you're a little baby, you inherited, you and I inherited Adam's nature, right? Adam's nature, which we had in the old self before we got saved, Adam's nature had a predisposition to rebellion against God and independence of him and disobedience to him. You don't have to teach children how to lie or steal or fight or any of those things. Is that true? We all were born that way. Um, but when we were born a second time, this is what happened. That old Adamic nature which we inherited from Adam, Romans 5.12 says that, uh, that was crucified by Christ. That was killed. It was is killed, meaning that sin could no more have dominion over you. In other words, you now had a choice as to whether you were going to sin or not. And, uh, and it was replaced with a new nature, which is the nature of what? The nature of Christ. And, and with the nature of Christ comes the desire and ability to do God's will. He says in Philippians 2.13. Is that right? However, there's a struggle that continues in our life. And the reason is this, because the old nature that we lived with for so many years before we were born again, that old nature which always taught us how to, how to think independently and live selfishly and rebel against the way God wanted it and not love other people but just love ourselves, that pattern of thinking and pattern of behavior and responses was ingrained in what the scriptures call our flesh, our mind with our brain mixed together. Neural pathways were formed. And so our, our actions, thinking, and responses were automatic that way. True? Automatic. And so when we were born again, the old nature that made us form those patterns, that was crucified and killed off, and now we don't have to live like that again. But we have to reprogram the flesh. We have to, we have to establish new patterns of thinking and behavior and, and responses. And we do that by putting on the character of who? Yeah, yeah. All those things that we read there in, in 2 Peter chapter 1, uh, put on, you know, add to your faith, goodness and goodness, knowledge and knowledge, all of that stuff. Those, those are the traits of Jesus Christ. Would you agree? That's what he's like. And we are commanded to do that intentionally. Um, that is part of what we're going to give uh, account for when we stand before God. That's what sanctification or holiness is. And uh, it refers to the negative and the positive aspects there. We're to put off or purify ourselves 
or crucify the flesh, that's the same terminology when we say purify yourself or crucify the flesh. That's the same terminology. It's different terminology for the same concept. And the putting on is like growing in character or growing in the fruit of the Spirit or growing the character traits of Jesus Christ. That's, that's all saying the same thing. And those two together combined into what we call sanctification or holiness. That's what the scriptures are talking about, all right? Now, how do we put off and put on? So let's, uh, let's bring that up very quickly on the screen there. Uh, we put off, by purifying or crucifying the flesh, confession and repentance, inner healing, breaking destructive family patterns, deliverance. That's, that's, that's where we see the set free does a lot of it. But let me ask you this question. Can we only do those things at a set free, yes or no? No. We're supposed to live like that, but that's a good place to get it started and learn how to do it, right? Then we're supposed to put on, there's a put on side, growing our character, fruit, and spirit, and we talked about that two weekends ago, three key ways, and we expanded on, but I'll just mention them. We're supposed to pray a character trait that we need to grow in. We can ask the Holy Spirit to show it uh, uh, to us, or we can ask our, our spouse which one we should be working on, then pray for it, right? What's the second thing we need to do then? What, what do we need to do? Renew our minds. How do we renew our minds about that character trait? By studying the scriptures, but also, very specifically, we start to memorize passages of scripture that have to do with that character trait. Then the third thing is we've got to do what? Walk in the Spirit... And that means as he, he's going to set up tests for us, and then we respond to everything that he, uh, you know, when he sets up a test and we're about to fail, then he reminds us of it, and then we walk in the Spirit. He gives us the desire and the ability to do that, right? So that's how we, how we, put, it, how we put it on. Now, here comes the... Uh, and that, by the way, that gives us increasing amounts of freedom. The set free alone will not give you all the freedom that you need. Do you hear me? That won't give you all the freedom you need. It's a good start. But now you've got to put on intentionally. And, uh, and that... When you, and the more freedom you experience, the more abundant life you begin to develop, in, you, you have in your life, you know, and, and you're filled with more joy and hope and peace and all those kinds of things uh, come because of that. And that, by the way, the freedom leads to abundant living, and the abundant living leads to, guess what? Fruitfulness. When you and I are free... And, and we are then living more of the abundant life, and then it leads to more fruitfulness in our lives. That's how they're connected. Do you see that? Now, why the question that you may be asking is, why doesn't God just plain sanctify us holy and make us perfect at the moment of salvation, if that's true? Have you ever wondered that? Do you ever get sick of your sin patterns? And some of your responses, how many of you ever get sick of it? Don't you ever just go, like, I'm so done with this already. Like, why didn't he just, I mean, he justified me completely, right, at salvation. I'm as justified today as I was then, and I have no part in it. Why didn't he just sanctify me wholly, and that would have been the end of it. I would have been a good person. That's what we're going to look at right now. The simple answer, the catch-all answer is this. Life 
on earth is a training ground for eternity. Paul says that in Timothy. He said, train yourselves to be godly. What, what is the first word there? Train. Did you see it? That's an imperative. We're called to be intentional about this. He says, train yourselves to be godly. For what kind of training? Physical training is of how much value? Yeah, it's of some value. You just, you just added another year to your life. That's pretty good, right? But guess what? Your body's still going to decay and die. That's why it's of some value. And then he says, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the what? Present life, just like physical uh, training does, and the, oh my goodness, you're telling me, Ray, that training in godliness or holiness and growing in it, just like growing in physical exercise, is going to impact my eternity? Yes, it will. It will affect our eternity. And um, so let's look at some incredible reasons that God trains us like this. Well, first of all, this accords with what it means to be human. Have you ever considered that we, w we won't lose our human ability to choose in heaven? I mean, choice is integral to a love relationship. The moment choice is coerced or programmed into us, love ceases to be love. Isn't that right? The, the, the moment I say to my wife, you've got to give me a hug and say I love you, is that love? No. It has to be chosen freely. So the question is, is there going to be love in heaven? Yes. So if there's going to be love in heaven, doesn't there have to be choice? Uh-oh. Doesn't this worry you just a little bit then? Um, does, it, does it make us nervous? Well, don't be. Here's what will be different. Number one, our old nature, which was dominated by sin, was already what? Crucified when we got saved. That's the first thing. Second, the devil and his demonic host will be confined to hell, no longer able to deceive the nations. Aren't you glad about that? He won't be able to tempt you and I and the nations. And then number three, using our struggle against the flesh that we've been talking about, the collect and the collective mind of the world and the devil, God is training us on earth to prepare us for heaven so that we won't want to make the that we will want to make the right choices in heaven. He's training us for that. Uh, we must, but we must participate in our sanctification, just like we participate in our own education or physical exercise and fitness and so on. We're not robots and we're not help, helpless infants. Uh, we're mature individuals. Well, second reason, not only does it accord with what it means to be human, so that we learn to hate sin and desire to be holy. Now, we get tired of tasting the bitter dregs of our sinful choices, don't we? Huh. Have you ever committed some sin that, uh, uh, and, and you're still reaping the effects of it? I mean, finally, enough is enough. You hate that. You hate that about your sin. Isn't it true? And we weary in fighting our sinful patterns in the flesh. Look what Paul said in Romans chapter 7, uh, 24, uh, and he said, What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? 
Have you ever felt frustration that you just don't seem to get it right and you don't overcome? Have you ever felt that? Oh, I'm so done with this. Oh! You can just hear Paul going, oh! I'm so done with it. And if you ever feel frustration, how many of you have ever felt frustration? Oh, with that. I mean, I'm not talking about other kinds of frustration. <laughs> not frustration at your spouse. I'm talking about your sin. Now, here's the, here's the good news about that frustration. If you ever felt that frustration, that's a good sign. You're being trained. That's exactly what God wants you to feel. He wants you to be frustrated with the whole thing and done with it. That's exactly what he wants. Because then for all eternity, you'll be glad that you aren't like that anymore. You don't want it anymore. Amen? That's what he's doing. He's, he's doing a good work in us, even in the short period of time here on earth, when we battle and struggle with all this kind of nonsense. Wow. And how about the pressure of the collective mind of the world, always trying to conform us to its godless, godless image? Think about the pressure to be open-minded and inclusive about all sexual deviance and sin that comes to bear. Do you get, do you get tired of reading the newspaper? Think about the social re-engineering, the brainwashing, we'll call it, being foisted upon innocent children in our school systems in the name of education. That's not education, that's brainwashing. Social re-engineering, that's what's going on. Think about how it is being celebrated openly and cast as a wholesome family activity while berating and branding those who hold to true family values as being the intolerant, bigoted people. Do you ever tire of that? Think about the pressure to give women choice over their own bodies, a slate of hand to cover uh, and deceive you. Women should have a right over their own bodies, but they shouldn't have right over the human that's within their bodies. There's a big difference. But notice how they play with that. Women should have a right over her own body. That's how the devil is. He's deceiving all the time. Do you just tire the whole thing? You know, they, uh, they, they often throw a free newspaper onto my porch. Bugs, bugs a fire out of me. <laughs> I don't want to read that thing. And I take it, it's still in its sleeve, and I huck it in the, in, in, in the waste of recycling. Because <laughs> I'm green. i just tired of it. You know what? Congratulations if you're getting tired of it. Congratulations. God wants you to be sick and tired of it. That's part of the training. You'll never want it for the rest of eternity. Because, do you remember, uh, remember the Old Testament story uh, where the children of Israel in the wilderness that complained because they wanted meat? They didn't like the manna, so they started to grumble and complain, grumble and complain. Finally, God gave meat, quail. Do you remember that? Oh, stacked up feet high. They had all the meat that they could handle until it was just, they were throwing up from it. And that's basically what God wants us, to get to the point where we're throwing up because the stench of sin and evil is such that we don't want it anymore. Do you see why? 
he sanctifies us that way, and not just in an instant. So we come to hate it and loathe sin. I'm not talking about hating people. I'm talking about loathing sin, that we don't want it. I love that about God, don't you? Isn't he wise? So that we'll trust God forever. That's another reason. When Adam and Eve chose to disobey God, they did so because they ultimately trusted their own instincts or understanding over God's. Right down to this present day, we're all guilty of that. If we don't understand what God is saying or up to, instead of trusting God, we revert to trust our own gut instincts. You know what we're lacking? A healthy fear of the Lord. Do you know what our... Do you know what... We in the West do all the time. We're always, why? Why? Our children grew up like that too. Why? 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 Do you ever get sick of hearing, being asked why? Have you ever said, because I said so, that's why? (laughs) No, you're good parents. You would never do that. I know. But the ones sitting in your row, they do. God can't, sometimes kids don't, they can't understand why. They just need to know that sometimes they need to trust the parent. Is that true? Sometimes God can't tell us why because we're not ready to hear the why. And we have to trust him. But we have to know the why. Why? Why? I'll obey if I know why. That's a problem. So, by the time we get to the end of this life, see, the fear of the Lord is a life-giving fountain. It offers escape from the snares of death. Through the fear of the Lord, a man avoids evil. And as we live amid such unimaginable tragedy and heartache and wickedness and evil, it begins to dawn dawn on us that this is all a result of trusting ourselves rather than God. And forever... We'll finally come to the place where we just go, you know what, God, I don't understand everything, but I'm going to trust you. You're one I can trust. (laughs) I don't have to always know the why. I trust you. You say that, I go with it. He's training us for the next life. Here's the fourth one, so that we'll long for heaven. There's several things God uses to create a longing for and thereby make us fit for heaven. One is the personal struggle for sin, which we've been talking about. Second one is the physical deterioration of or decay of our bodies. And the more your body decays, the more you want a new body and you say, you know, they call, you know the advertising, the slick advertising, the golden years. What a joke. It's not getting more golden for me. You know, your memory goes and your hair goes, everything goes. That's not very golden. Makes you long for heaven, doesn't it? Ah, he knew what he was doing. And our experience of this world, the destructive anti-Christ spirit and hatred of Christians. No wonder Paul said, uh, for me to live is Christ and to die is what? Gain. If I'm to go on living in the body, this, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yes, what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. If we were being persecuted like Paul was, don't you think we'd have a longing in our heart for heaven? 
we come to see that we really are strangers. The more problems and struggles and issues and aging and all of the rest, it's supposed to create a longing for home. He's preparing us, he's training us, not just for this lifetime, but for the life to come. As I was penning this point, a hymn by Dorothy Masters rose up in my heart and it filled me with such longing and joy. I've a longing in my heart for Jesus. I've a longing in my heart to see his face. I am weary, oh so weary, of traveling here below. I've a longing in my heart for him. And as I sang that over and over and over, tears just streamed down from my face. I said, God, this is incredible. You're giving me such a longing for you, for heaven. This isn't my home. We're just passing through. And what we do here counts for eternity, but he's giving us a longing finally so that we'll appreciate and praise him for, the, uh, for finally making us holy. Oh, yes. Luke tells us a story of the woman. Do you remember? Uh, she, uh, she had the expensive bottle of perfume, and, and she came to Jesus where he was reclining, and uh, she, she was just weeping uh, with uh, great love for him. And uh, she took this, this very expensive perfume and poured it over him, and she was wiping his feet with her long hair. And Simon, who, at whose home this was taking place, uh, ridiculed her to Jesus and uh, said, this is ridiculous. Get this woman out of here. Like, what's the matter? I mean, she's, she's wasting all this perfume. And Jesus took the opportunity to tell a, a little parable, short parable of a money lender. And he said, the money lender lent money to two people. One was very wealthy. Uh, I mean, he, he lent much, 500 denarii, and one he lent just 50 denarii. And he said, and then he forgave them both their debt. And then he asked Simon, he said, which of those two do you think loved him more? And Simon says, well, I suppose it was the one that was forgiven much, 500 denarii. And then Jesus took that and applied it to the situation in the comparison between Simon and the woman. And he said, she has been forgiven much, and so she loves much. But Simon, you don't think you've been forgiven, don't need to be forgiven of much, so you don't, you don't love much, uh, was his application. Now, let me apply that to what we're talking about here. If at the moment of salvation we on, not only received our new nature, like it was the old nature is crucified, we get the nature of Jesus Christ, and then if he went and reprogrammed our flesh instantly, so that at the moment of salvation you never struggle with sin ever again for the rest of your life, how much do you think you would appreciate Jesus? No. It's in the, it's in the, it's in the struggle when we realize how big the issue of sin really is and what he has done for us that we begin to appreciate and we'll appreciate it for eternity. You know, it's, it's kind of like when a person uh, 
uh, a person who has been healed. Uh, and we pray for healing all the time. We see miracles here and, and that kind of stuff too. But not everybody gets healed. Fran didn't get healed that way, in a miraculous way. Isn't it true, Fran and I have often said, if God had just, you know, uh, instead of the 10 surgeries, if, if God had just healed her instantly, we would, uh, you know, 20 years ago or whatever it was, we would have long forgotten about that. But because we continue, you know, because she lived in her for so long, we came to appreciate and love Jesus even more because he was sustaining her through the entire time. You see what I'm saying? Um, and so he's creating this love and appreciation for us. And uh, so Paul, and, and as I wrote the, uh, you know, was writing on this and preparing the message, the words of Paul erupted out of me. When I looked at those five reasons, it accords with what it means to be human, so that we learn to hate sin and desire to be holy, so that we learn to trust God or have the fear of the Lord for eternity, so that we long for heaven and never want life like this again, and so that we appreciate and love him for making us holy. As I wrote that, this tremendous joy just erupted on my heart and I, I exclaimed out of Romans chapter 11, 33, Oh, the depth of the riches, the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Isn't that true, church? Yeah. And then here's the third one, and by way of introduction for next week. Not only do we receive the abundant life for growing it by abiding in the vine, not only by growing in, in uh in our freedom, but also by standing our ground against the devil. At the start of the message, we began with John 10.10. 10. The thief comes only to what? Steal and destroy. But I, Jesus, have come that they might have life abundantly. Do you know what that passage is saying? That passage is saying Jesus came to give us abundant life, but there's an enemy who's going to try to rob it from you and from me. That's what it's saying. So we have to know how to defend ourselves and to protect what we have won, what Christ and us have won in our lives. Otherwise, he's going to steal it from us. Is that true? He'll steal, uh, he'll steal our freedom. It will go back. Remember what it said, stand firm, therefore, don't, don't lose it. We'll lose our freedom. We'll lose our abundant life. And then ultimately, it affects our fruitfulness, and that's exactly what he wants. And so next week, that's what we're going to look at, the six pieces on how do we protect ourselves from the onslaught of the enemy who's relentless in trying to rob the abundant life and the freedom and ultimately our fruitfulness from us to make us ineffective in Christ. And so... That's what we'll talk about next week. So, in conclusion, how do we experience the abundant life? Here it is. comes up on the screen. Very easy. Number one, by abiding in Christ. And that is, you know, prayer and hearing God, devotional life, the word, memorization, that, journaling, that kind of stuff. Number two, by growing in our freedom from sin, putting off the old practices of the old self and the flesh, and putting on the character traits of Christ in an intentional way. God wants it like that because he's not only preparing us, not only is it good for this present life, but it is in preparation for, the, for our eternal life. And then number three, 
is by standing our ground against the devil, and that's what we're going to look at next week. And this really sets up for the baptisms that we're going to uh, witness at this time. This message explains baptism, or this little series, and baptism pictures this message. We were buried with Christ in his death so that oh, the sin nature was, was crucified once and for all, and we're given the new life of Christ so that we would be raised and walk in newness of life with the nature of Christ and the character traits of Christ. All right? Lord Jesus, thank you for what you're teaching us and showing us, and thank you for these candidates, uh, over 90 of them in, the, in these three weeks, uh, who have made a choice to commit themselves on this journey of walking with you and walking in you. And Lord, I pray that if there's anybody here right now who hasn't started that journey, they still, are, uh, they still have that old nature. I pray that right now they would say yes to Jesus. Lord, that you would draw them to yourself right this moment. They would say, yes, Jesus, I receive you because of what you did on the cross. That they could become new creatures and start on a journey of life, abundant life, and freedom in Christ ultimately ending with you. In Jesus' name, amen.